welcome, Power Men and Iron Fists, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Power Man and Iron Fist, number 57. What? Dun, dun, dun. The June 1979 issue, on sale March 20th of 1979. And this one's titled, Pharaohs on Broadway. Wasn't there a Sir Mix-A-Lot song called My Posse's on Broadway? My Posse's on Broadway. Broadway and my wheels spin slow Rolling with your posse is the only way to go The girlies by the college was looking for a ride We tried to pick them up but we had no room inside We put them on the trunk, we put them on the hood Some sat up with the driver, they made him feel good The posse's getting bigger, there's much too many freaks My muffler's dragging, my suspension's getting weak Now the freaks are getting hungry and mix a lot streetin' We stopped at Taco Bell for some Mexican eating But Taco Bell was closed, the girls was on my tip my pharaohs on broadway look it up i think that's how it went <laughs> uh yeah 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 well welcome to the power man and iron fist podcast we really got tired of x-men and decided what 70s-based comic book that will go into obscurity would we like to review? And we decided that we would take a look at Power Man and Iron Fist. And we would start at number 57. I didn't think of it. We've been doing so many issues of, of our X-Men. We just kind of like, you know, we just needed a little break. Yeah. So before we go uh, on with the next exciting saga of the X-Men, we are going to take a look at... Well, what we said. Power Man and Iron Fist number 57, which actually happens to guest star some of the Uncanny X-Men. Ah, darn it. I thought we were going to get away from them. No, they're everywhere. They're so popular. And on the cover, there's a little spoiler as to who the villain is. First of all, there's a picture of him. But second of all, it says, in the hands of the living monolith. Oh. So he won't go away. (laughs) So you, this one's definitely got – it's got to have Havoc in it. Yeah, of course. It's got to. It's got to have – well, I guess Havoc. Is well, it. If, well, if Havoc's in it, then Lorna Dane's got to be in it. Probably. And if Havoc and Lorna Dane are in it then and they're hanging out with Gene, that means that Gene's with them. And Gene is going to meet up with Nightcrawler and Cyclops who are, and Storm who are on the cover of this issue. We're going to settle that whole confusing thing that they were dealing with, right? Yeah, it's it's about time, and I'm <sighs> glad it, it finally happens. Yes, in the pages of Power Man and Iron Fist. Which is why we have to read this issue. Exactly. Uh, let's just jump. I guess the cover we could describe, it's it's uh, the living monolith, who I got to admit, like, I, I, I never realized he was, I mean, I'm not going to say prolific, but I didn't realize he had more than just his uh, few appearances in the X-Men in the Marvel Universe. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's one of the, the latest and greatest of them all. <laughs> I, I stole that from the cover. <laughs> That's what it says, I guess. Uh, this cover is by Bob Layton. I just wanted to throw it out out there. Not that we really know who he is, but Hey, why not? Uh, the living monolith has power man and iron fist in one hand and Cyclops and nightcrawler and storm in the other hand. I wanted to grab a copy of Power Man and Iron Fist 56 as well, just to figure out how we get to where we start off. But uh, 
I couldn't find it. It doesn't matter because actually in this issue, we get a little bit of a flashback anyway. Right. So I guess we just won't skip over the flashback page this issue. Exactly. That'll be a first, folks. Well, let's open it up. And what we see is that Mary Jo Duffy is writing this. Trevor Van Eden is penciling. Frank Springer is inking. I Watanambi is lettering and Jay Russos is coloring. Edited by Alan Milgram and Jim Shooter, chief of the editors. Is this our first Mary Jo Duffy that we've done? I think so. I she she may have done one of those classic X-Men's, but this would be the first chronological ones. I mean, we've read two of her letters in the news uh, letters. Oh, good call. I forgot about Letter, that. Letters pages. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's, that's why I bring it up. Nice. Adam on the spot is what we're going to call you from here on out. Pew! Adam on the spot is here. So as we open up, uh, clearly this is where the last issue left off, but uh, uh, the living monolith is big and giant. So we know that Havoc is encased in a crystal uh, thing or he's dead because that's how the so living we're on panel. Yeah, that's how the living monolith works. And uh, he's threatening Power Man and Iron Fist, who actually recognize him. They're like, the living monolith. Fist, this could be trouble. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he's not written uh, very black in this page, but he gets pretty bad throughout this issue. <laughs> well, this is the stereotypical 70s. It's It's going to be pretty stereotypical as we go. So I imagine that in Mary Jo Duffy's head, it was like, Fist? This could be trouble. Oh, no, Jeremy. I think it's more like this. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, it, that's it's funny. more like the, uh, oh, <laughs> who, who's the classic, uh, ladies? I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. Many times that we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. <laughs> Barry White? Yes, Barry White. It's the classic <laughs> Barry White voice. All right. Yeah, so uh, here we go. The living monolith says, yep, it's it's me, everybody. You weren't expecting me. Here, a, quick, a quick summary. Last issue, Power Man and Iron Fist were hired to guard the treasures of two tank men on display in New York. And it turned out that uh, Professor Abdul, one of the archaeologists, boy, that's a mouthful. One of the archaeologists who hired them uh, was, in fact, the living monolith and transformed into the living monolith. Yes. And now he is crushing them under the might of his groin. Uh, I think it's uh, Iron Fist recognizes, obviously, the living monolith and also talks about last summer during my stint with the Defenders. I met the young man named Havoc and he told me all about the living monolith and how it works and blah, blah, blah. And we actually get a little panel of uh, Spider-Man and Havoc. Havoc's in a little tomb thing. So a little callback. Did we, did we, did we, did we do that issue? Uh, I don't think – I think – we covered okay, it very quickly. We did Marvel Team Up 69 and 70, but we didn't do Defenders 63 and 65. So that'll be coming up. Yeah, So, but but we covered most of it. So this isn't new information to us. But what's curious to me is the living monolith. Like, what room are they in? Because 
He even on his knees, he is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's like seven times the size of uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> How big of a place are they in? Iron Fist is staring up into his groin. <laughs> That's pretty much what's happening there. I recognize that groin anywhere. Zoinks! Havoc told me about this groin. It's the living monolith. <laughs> so I guess Iron Fist, uh, in the appearance that we haven't covered yet, Iron Fist and Havoc were both members of the Defenders. So we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, so also they were hired, you were right. They were hired to protect some stuff and blah, blah, blah. And there's this guy named, uh, Miradu that he's important to this whole story. He is the, uh, something to do with a museum. Like he's the, he's the head of the museum or something. So also Iron Fist's reasons that, uh, it could not be the fact that Havoc is, uh, dead or in a tomb because the last time he spoke to Havok, Havok said that he was going to go into seclusion and there's no way that Abdul could have found him. Havok wouldn't have lied to me. No way. <laughs> he was straight and narrow. So on the next page, we get a full page spread of the living monolith's head. And he's like, I can see the gears clicking in your head. You think you know what's going on, but you don't know anything. And I'm not going to tell you, which is kind of interesting. You don't know where I've hidden the artifacts, nor how I've come to wield a cosmic power once more without interfering with any of the accursed X-Men. And now you'll never learn those answers. Nah, 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 nah. Stick <laughs> your head in doo-doo. Power Man's like, at least, at least he ain't thought about Jenny Royce. That's the only thing going our way so far. Are you talking about Jenny Royce? <laughs> I'm not sure who Jenny Royce is, but I, I think she's their secretary. I, I gather that Jenny Royce... Yeah, we'll find out by the end of the issue. Okay. She has a connection to Professor Abdul. Okay. Uh, so Power Man kind of throws it back into the living monolith's face. Is like, man, you're full of it. You think taking us out will be easy? Look, Fist, our only chance to get him off balance. My signal, you hit him high and I'll hit him low. What a great plan. <laughs> so, so they do. Iron Fist does like a flying kick like at his ankle and Power Man goes <laughs> for his foot. Now, higher. Higher, Iron <laughs> Fist, higher. I can't. I thought you were going to go for the head. That's what I meant. I can't jump nine stories in the air to kick him in the head. <laughs> well, he's uh, the uh, the living monolith. Rather than just kick them, bends down to swat them like fleas. Yeah, you'd think that that would have exerted more energy than just kind of like kicking them away with his foot. But whatever. And now, you poor fools, goodbye. And he goes out through the ceiling, crushing them. Luke. The roof collapsing on us. The roof, the roof, the roof is falling in. Yeah, it is not on fire. <laughs> so we flitched, we flash our attention over to a bustling New York street where the X-Men, or at least some of the X-Men, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, have returned from their adventure in Canada. Whew, finally. finally. No Ooh. kidding, God. Uh... And uh, they're walking down the street. The interesting thing to note here is that Nightcrawler is not using his image inducer or a hat or a mask. He is just Nightcrawler. He is, however, wearing boxing gloves. 
I think that this yeah. actually might be the first time we're seeing Nightcrawler in plain clothes. Well, we saw him in this probably this very same trench coat in what was it, Calgary? But then he he dropped it. Oh, okay. So I'm imagining that I don't know. He likes wearing trench coats occasionally. Okay, maybe to hide his tail or something. Yeah, because <laughs> that's necessary. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, and uh, oddly enough, Storm is uh, uh, she's got like a little storm cloud flying in between Nightcrawler and her for no reason whatsoever. That's a cute little storm cloud, Aurora, but it would look better over Scott's head. Ah, burn! <laughs> Cyclops is just standing there. He's like, he looks over, he's like, I'm not even talking in this panel. <laughs> it's Colleen and Misty over there blabbing on about uh, stuff, and I'm not even talking. Colleen and Misty are going over to see the client that uh, that Luke and uh, Iron Fist... I guess Danny Rand have. And uh yeah, I guess maybe this Royce character is is uh uh the secretary of theirs. Jenny Royce, that's I, what they say, but she's she's got more to do with the story than just that. My god, they say what's that when the, I guess this is the same panel as well, it says at that moment, but it looks like he's burst it looks like the living monolith is bursting out of the roof here. So maybe this should be, say, like a few moments before. He is as big as Godzilla. He is pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's busting through the uh, the roof. He's bigger than I think he's ever been, to be honest. Storm, I think I recognize him from the X-Men's files. Isn't that? Yes, Kurt. It's the living monolith. I don't have a problem with this so much, but it, it bears mentioning, or it's worth mentioning that... This is the first in a long string of the X-Men being like, we've never fought him, but we've looked at the files and we recognize him or her or whatever the villain is. Do you imagine that the files are like the actual comics and Professor X had somebody (laughs) create the comics? Maybe. Maybe what we're reading is actual accounts of something that really happened. We're reading the X-Men files. (laughs) That's right. And that's when Scott, of course, uh, is like, well, if Abdul has transformed himself, he must have done something to Alex. And Misty Knight starts to cry because she thinks, oh, no, Danny was in there. And Danny and he, she are lovers, as we've mentioned a few times before. Are they? I thought they had broken up or something at one point. Well, okay, maybe they broke up, but, you know, she still cares about him. Well, clearly. I think they're still together. I thought there was some issue of uh, Iron Fist we read where he was on the beach with some other girl. Well, I think he was with Colleen. Was he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's but just he going could. back and forth between these women. Well, no, he wasn't with Colleen. Oh. He was just with her. He oh, was okay. at the same place with her. They have a – Colleen and Danny Rand have like a psychic bond, if you will. Right, right. We'll hear about that later. I don't know. Can you truly be with a girl and not be with a girl? Most of the time, you have no choice. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, uh, Colleen is like, take it easy, Misty. We don't know for sure that he and Cage are, are Scott. It's kind of weird, but okay. uh, Scott's pointing off panel. Nightcrawler, Storm, we've got to go after the monolith. 
stop him before he does any damage and find out what he's done with Havok. I'd like to point out that throughout this issue, Havok will be spelled with a K and a C interchangeably. Oh, yeah. how about that? <laughs> so, anyways, and then that led me to questions like, how is Havok supposed to be spelled? I've always spelled it with a K. Is it? Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, well, spelled with a C here, and uh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> like, didn't bother looking it up or anything. I believe it was spelled as a, with a K in the first appearance, and therefore I'm going to go with that. I think it looks cooler with the K than the C. But anyways, Misty, well, so, uh, yes, uh, Cyclops is, is freaking out about uh, about Alex, but Misty's like, just a minute, don't let your feelings get in the way like my feelings are getting in the way. We have to go save uh, uh, Iron Fist. She says, there are there may be survivors trapped in that building. And your stupid vendetta against the monolith is great and all, but we got to go save them. No, but then she says, Power Man and Iron Fist were in there. We can't just go off and leave them, no matter how important your vendetta against the monolith is. Yes, there might be trapped people in there, but also Iron Fist and Power Man in there. So forget about your brother. <laughs> That's what I took out of that page anyways. But Cyclops You're agrees. Right, Misty. And, and you get a nice little panel here of Cyclops uh, with Misty's reflection in his glasses. Havok is my brother, and I'm worried about him. I guess I got carried away. So he directs Storm to fly after the monolith, but avoid attracting his attention, uh, and they'll catch up with them. So I don't really know what's going on there. Cyclops, I can teleport ahead and see what things are like at the building. Go on, we'll be right behind you. Okay, the building's right over there. <laughs> There's nothing over here, it's, it's collapsed. My God, what a mess. No one could have survived in there, poor Misty. It's obvious, it's obvious that Iron Fist meant a lot to her. It, it, oh. It's another situation where I cannot help. <laughs> I am going to go sit in the corner and, and, and feel sorry for myself. I was in circus. <laughs> and then the others show up. Scott, I tried to go in, but it's impossible. The door was completely blocked by rubble. I didn't even think to try to teleport in. That's my power. <laughs> you remember, I cannot teleport when I cannot see because I might teleport into something. Even though there's quite obviously a window. <laughs> Cyclops is like, God, why do we have you on the team? You do nothing for us. One good blast from my eye beam should take care of that. I will have to say that it is kind of funny, not funny, but uh, uh, I like the panel where he teleports out of his trench coat and gloves. Avidacin! And he, yes, and they fall to the floor, and he's back into his costume. Maybe that's why he lost his costume, his uh, trench coat the, in the other issue. Oh, there goes another trench coat. Oh, dear. <laughs> So that's, but Misty, she, she's like, she comes up like, hold it, Cyclops. If anyone's in there, you'll start, you'll kill them if you start blasting. Especially if they're standing right behind the door. Yes, especially if it's Iron Fist. We could just ask them if there's somebody behind the door, but no, <laughs> it's too risky. Having them speak might kill them. Yes. Nobody here is like, maybe we should just yell for them. <laughs> Danny, yeah, we're in here. We're in here. We're coming. Well, in the next page, it says all for naught as Skakow, Iron Fist and Luke Cage burst out, not worrying about if anybody's on the other side. Yeah, that whole thing gets dropped immediately. 
Uh, so apparently Luke Cage held up the roof while Iron Fist summoned up the power of the Iron Fist to punch through the wall or something like that. You know, we find out in Avengers vs. X-Men that the uh, the power of the Iron Fist is very closely related to the power of the Phoenix. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I'm not impressed by that storyline. <laughs> Although I got to say, there was some backup material in there that talked about old Iron Fist that I thought was pretty well written. But I didn't care how it tied in with the whole Phoenix saga. Oh, that's right. You read every issue. I, I read everything. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, Misty and Colleen are very happy to see Iron Fist. Really don't care so Especially much about Luke Misty, Cage. Yeah, she's like, she totally grabs him and they start making out. <laughs> and this is where uh, Colleen comes in and is like, you're my mate, my mind mate. Happy to see you. <laughs> Their minds were temporarily linked back in Iron Fist number six. It's strange to cut from a panel of Iron Fist kissing Misty to a panel of Iron Fist hugging Colleen. Yes, I was confused. I was like, <laughs> what, how come uh, Misty's jacket changed colors? <laughs> and was she wearing that hat? Not the best form of comic book telling. <laughs> yeah, like, I would have expected here that, like, the next panel after Colleen and Iron Fist kissing would be Power Man being like, what, no love for the Power Man? <laughs> and then the next panel could be Colleen hugging uh, Iron Fist being like, no, well, it, could, it could just be a panel of Colleen hugging Iron Fist with Misty off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would, you know, that would lead us the impression of, oh, she must have moved over still. Or it's a few seconds later. Anyway, Luke Cage says, looks like they'll be busy a while. <laughs> so we best make our own introductions. Name's Luke Cage. Oh, snap. Oh, yeah. Want some Colt 45? It works every time. <laughs> oh, man. I apologize, audience. That was uncalled for. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's written that way. It's not my fault. Uh, Scott introduces himself as two of the X-Men, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler. It's true. <laughs> I am the Nightcrawler. I teleport, but I couldn't see across the rubble. You, you know. You see. Misty, Colleen, hey, Fist, soon as you're through here, we got work to do. It ain't going to take Abdul forever to forget about Jenny, Jenny Royce and decide to go after her. Colleen is still hugging Iron Fist. <laughs> Looks right. <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> uh, I, I want to make uh, Iron Fist like a deep southerner. <laughs> <laughs> Could you two protect Jenny for us? Just go out there. I, don't know, I, can't, I can't even do it. I, I, I should be able to do a deep southerner. This is my bread and <laughs> butter. Iron Fist, like in the next panel, after he's been hugging Colleen for two panel, now has Misty and Colleen, one on each arm. <laughs> he is a stud. I think I know what the power of the Iron Fist really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so anyways... uh Cyclops offers to help out Iron Fist and Power Man with their problems with the living monolith, but uh, Power Man's like, no, we got some other stuff we got to be taken care of. Stopping the monolith, the X-Men's job, though I doubt if even we have the power to do it. You two are welcome to come along and help us try. We got a few other things to take care of. We'll be along. By the way, this is important. Abdul told us he changed without messing with any X-Men. Hope that's some comfort to you. 
don't know if why it should be, but hey, I thought I'd let you know. <laughs> it is knowing, knowing nothing about you, you know. It's just a coincidence. It it is. Thanks. <laughs> this is about your brother, isn't it? <laughs> I understand bro stuff. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Colleen, I think, is still holding on to one of the girls here. Good Lord. Or, yeah, Iron who's, Fist. Who's got a leg up in that panel? It's like there's somebody behind <laughs> Iron Fist running away in like a, in a, in a Charlie... Uh, brown sweater. Yeah, it looks like he's going to pickpocket Iron Fist. Or, I mean, Power Man. He looks like he's got, uh, like, some sort of elf ears or something. kind of does. <laughs> it's a scroll! All of Yes, that's right. Look behind you! <laughs> you should take care of that problem. Well, they're on a busy street in New York, and nobody's like, hey, look at those dumb costume people over there. They're just like, eh, whatever. This is normal. It's uh, it's just Iron Fist and Power Man, the heroes for hire, you know. <laughs> hey, are you guys for hire? <laughs> not right now. We own a job. Are you sure you're not just trying to get us out of harm's way, sending us off like this? Misty says to Iron Fist. The living. Let's see if okay, I'm gonna pull it together. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do this southern accent. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> The living monolith is no joke. You saw what he did to the building. We may be more than any of us can handle. Come on, Fist. Them relics ain't going to find themselves while we stand around here. I know, Luke. Take care, Misty. Well, that's pretty good. You should just do this whole comic book by yourself. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> so Iron Fist and Power Man, who apparently don't have, like, a Heroes for Hire mobile, which is kind of funny. <laughs> they're just They're just walking down the street. In like Harlem or something. Look at this guy in the foreground. He looks like a uh, extra from Fred Albert, uh, or an extra from like Good Times. Yeah, like J.J. Yeah. Walker's long lost cousin or something. Picture a black stereotype, and you are picturing the right thing. Yes, with a little red beanie. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going off. They're going to go find some artifacts or something. Then we go after the monolith. Hated letting Cyclops take over from us like that. Someone tries to off me, he makes it personally. Especially when he comes that close to succeeding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, from what Havoc told Power, or Iron Fist rather, there may be a connection with the Halwani Embassy where they imprisoned Havoc last summer, so that's where they go. They walk, I should say. They don't even take a cab. Like, have they not getting, gotten paid for any of their heroes for hire jobs yet? I like how they're in stride, too. They're like, they're like marching down the street. <laughs> <laughs> so they knock on the door, and one of the Hawani guys, uh, who basically is, you know, one of the um, uh, thugs from any of the other um, living monolith issues, he opens the door. Dressed up in one of those pharaoh outfits. Mm -hmm. like, Go away, infidel dogs. And that's when Luke Cage, Power Man, bursts down the door and one of them says, oh, dear. That's when uh, Power Man decides to create an international incident by storming the Hawani embassy. Some folks just ain't got no manners. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, the Hawani, they just start shooting at these guys. Of course. These guys are invading their embassy. I know. Let these heathen pigs defile the master's sacred place. Whatever they're hiding is behind that door over there. 
who you calling a heathen? So they knock the Halwani guys out. They bust into the master's office, and it's basically filled with Egyptian relics, but not quite the same as the exhibit they were guarding last issue. So something's weird. Something's amiss. What do you make of this? A crystal pyramid and a compass allowed to magnetic north. They do a little Indiana Jones here and start figuring out what's going on. Yes, because Power Man knows exactly which way magnetic north is. <laughs> well, yeah, he's 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 educated. It's that metal headband of his. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's got a compass. Or that oh, no. there's a compass on the table right there. Oh, you're right. There is. <laughs> I like that he has a chain belt. I haven't mentioned that yet. Big, yeah, that is kind of funny. Gigantic chain link belt. What's important is finding them three archaeologists and the rest of the relics. You're so keen on this stuff, you figured out what's missing? So apparently, Power Man's the brawn and Iron Fist is the brain. Well, I think they're both equally... I mean, yes. By, by appearances, yes. But I think they both act as brain and brawn. I think they kind of flip back and forth. Okay. But yeah, by appearances, you expect that Power Man is the the brawn and Iron Fist is the brain. I think that's what made them so compelling. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Tell. Uh, so it's noticed that there's a coffin that's missing. Uh, the sarcophagi is gone. So, yeah, some coffins are missing. Well, grab the crystal and let's move. Sooner we find that stuff, the sooner we get to back, we go back and settle with Abdul. I don't want the X-Men bringing him down before we get there. Speaking of Professor Abdul, or the living monolith, he is walking Godzilla-style down the streets of New York. Oh, uh, He's not even, like, smashing anything. He's just walking around. Well, he's a, he's a very polite Godzilla. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm <laughs> looking for my embassy. <laughs> Has anybody seen the Halwani embassy? <laughs> It's so confusing up here. <laughs> I can't see the street signs. <laughs> I know I want to go to 1st Street, but am I on 22nd or am I on 28th? I, I can't tell. Cyclops is down on the ground shooting at his uh, kneecaps, which is doing nothing to him. Storm is above him shooting at his hat with lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. I don't know why she got to shoot his hat. The Well, it's uh, like electrically conductive, right? I mean... Maybe. And then Colossus, or, uh, Cyclops says, if only Wolverine and Colossus, a few more of the stronger X-Men he were here, then they too would probably not be able to do anything. Yes. Wolverine would just start scratching them, doing nothing. Colossus would get kicked away like he always does by somebody <laughs> strong. The only person that's making any sort of uh, impact on the living monolith actually turns out to be Nightcrawler, who is basically just teleporting in and out of his like peripheral vision. And and basically irritating him like a mosquito, essentially, or I guess a gnat. He as he calls him. Away, you troublesome gnat! Before I, bamf. <laughs> so they uh, we cut back to Iron Fist and Power Man, who are still just picking up the crystal. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and then as Iron Fist touches the crystal, what? Who dares? And Storm notices that he's finally been disturbed and he changes his direction. What's going on in the street down there? Is that a fire? I have no idea. It's like the living monolith stomped his feet and like there's a big fiery wave or something. 
So it's like a sound wave or something. Uh, sure, I don't know. Knocking people down. Moments ago, I sensed a, I sensed a disturbance in the force. I mean, the energy field. <laughs> there is only one person alive who could be responsible, and it is here that I shall find her. Now, for those of you who don't know, it's that secretary that they kept talking about. Jenny Royce. Jenny Royce. Are you sure this is necessary? And it turns out that uh, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing have brought Jenny Royce directly to uh, the living monolith's feet. Good job, girls. Jenny Royce, prepare to die. And Misty Knight says, don't worry, Jenny. He won't get through us unless he, he won't get to you unless he goes through us first. And then there's a giant fist in the back of the panel as Storm rescues Jenny Royce. He will have he will have none of you while I'm here to prevent it. Who's there? Oh, that's Jenny Royce. Yeah. Who's there? What's going on? I guess, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of silly that Colleen and Misty are like, this is it. <laughs> We're going to put ourselves in front of this guy that's 20 times our size just to protect you, Jenny Royce. Well, they're brave. They're mar <laughs> they're true Marvel heroes. Uh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. They'll probably be in their own upcoming TV shows soon enough. Oh, that'd be awesome. It'd be Marvel and the Agents of Shield and then the Colleen Wing Misty Knight story. Well, Iron Fist is getting his own show and Power Man is getting his own show, so you know Misty Knight and Colleen <sighs> Wing are gonna be in one of those shows. Oh, man. I hope it all culminates into a Heroes for Hire television show. It will, except it won't be called Heroes for Hire. No? Is that already trademarked? It's going to be called The Defenders, which is also already trademarked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I actually heard all that. Oh, yeah, that's that's the hot news. Daredevil's getting his own show. But aren't some of these going to be like Amazon and Netflix shows? They're all going to be Netflix shows. Oh, sweet. Starting in 2014 or 15 or something. I hope they're not dumb. Well... You know, there's a good chance they won't be entirely dumb. I don't know. I haven't really been able to get into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. yet. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't very good. It, it's, <laughs> But I feel like, I don't know, it, it takes a while for a Joss Whedon show to get going. Yeah, but this really isn't Joss Whedon. It's like his brother. Yeah, that might be the problem. Amos Whedon or whatever his name is. Except for Firefly. That got started really good. Well, yeah. And then, and, and then ended really quickly <laughs> well it was canceled anyways that's a whole other story uh so power man and iron fist they don't really know where to go but as luck happens one of the halwani guys is dressed up in his garb driving a truck down the road so they decide to follow him luke look at that i don't believe it pays to advertise especially when you think you're working for god <laughs> So in a three-panel montage here, we get the truck stopping at a stoplight, Power Man and Iron Fist running out to the truck, and then I guess they throw the Hawani guy out the side of the window. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure he deserved it. They open up the back of the truck, they find a coffin, and inside the coffin, it's Meridu, the guy who hired them for this job in the first place. Thank heaven you found me. Meanwhile, the living monolith, his power is draining. He can feel it. Why? And we cut back to Meridu and the heroes, and uh, he says, we use this thing to track you down. What is it anyway? No one really knows, although I'm beginning to suspect that 
that dreadful Egyptian. You see, my staff isn't large. Only myself and two others, Llewellyn and Bradford. My field is Central American Indians. Bloody, bloody, blah. <laughs> he talks about what's going on, which is basically that they they found these uh, ancient artifacts, and one of them appeared to be some sort of special energy, and they got uh, Abdul on their team because he's a he knows a whole lot about pharaohs and stuff, and um, Ab do they yeah they learn that Abdul doesn't need with this device with this crystal. Abdul no longer needs havoc, but can use three different people, two of whom are in the other sarcophagi uh, that are about the town, and uh, he's absorbing all of their power. I want to point out that in one of the X-Men issues that we read, the Sentinels captured Havoc and put him in like a tomb or like a glass case or something, and it was at that point that the living monolith or, or Professor Abdul was at a board meeting with a whole bunch of people in business suits and he's like making a business proposal but then he feels the power surging through him and he's like, ah, oh, forget you guys, I'm the living monolith and I am power! And then the sentinels swing in and zap him and take him and capture him. Has everybody forgotten about that or did that just not make news? Well, did he actually grow? Or yeah. was he just like yelling at a business table? I don't remember him actually growing. I recall him like starting to grow and like getting all crazy and starting to yell at everybody. And that's when the Sentinels uh, swung in. Hmm. And then he ended up getting captured and yeah, he was one of those guys in the jars. Yes. A mutant in a jar. I guess everybody's forgotten about that. Except for you, Jeremy. <laughs> Except for you. All right, well, anyways, they keep going on and on and on about this crystal, and the guy's like, oh, Mr. the Abdul guy, he's using three hosts, me, I guess, and Bradford and Llewellyn, I guess. Although I'm not sure how that Jenny Royce person fits in. If you were the northern apex, then finding the associates shouldn't be too difficult. If we phone the police, <laughs> they should be able to take care of it. Make it fast. Radio says the monolith's tearing up the theater district. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I want to be there in the end to see Abdul's face when Lieutenant Scoff and his men open up the last two boxes. But I'm only their secretary. I never intended to get involved, says Jenny Royce. You won't drop me, will you? To Storm. <laughs> Try to have faith, Jenny. After all, the monolith hasn't caught us yet, has he? And then he does! Oh, but I have! He snatches them from midair, which looks like he snaps, snatches Jenny Royce, which probably hurts. Probably just grabbed Jenny and Storm is too stubborn to let her go. And now with a squeeze of my fingers, I end your interference forever. What? Eh? <laughs> He's freed us. But it turns out that Power Man was, got under his foot somehow and knocked him down. Yes. Which, I don't know, did Power Man not see that he was holding on to Storm and Jenny Royce? He apparently didn't care. <laughs> Yo, that, that, sister can take, that sister can take care of herself. You again? Yeah, it was me, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get up again, I'm just going to dump you again, sucker. Why, you miserable little maggot. For your insolence, you shall feel the wrath of a god who walks the... the... No! What's happening? The power is leaving me. 
I'm dwindling back into what what I was. Gods of my fathers, don't turn away from me now. Stay away. Keep back. Don't touch me, you infidel brute. He's like half the size of Power Man now. He's like a shriveled up purple man now. Man, I'm glad I got my licks in when I did, because right now I wouldn't waste my strength on you. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, And so they all kind of wrap up. uh, The X-Men and Power Man and Luke Cage meet up. Or Power Man and Iron Fist, I should say. Cage, I don't know how you did it, but thanks says Cyclops. Don't mention it. And if the police don't want Abdul, he's all yours. Why wouldn't the police want Abdul after all the damage he's created or caused? Eh, they don't like to deal with this superhero crap. And what are the X-Men going to do? The X-Men have never taken anybody save Juggernaut prisoner. And that was just because the professor was a little nutso. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, they, uh, they're wondering, like, what should we do with this crystal? By the way, it's called the Cheops crystal. In case anybody yeah. was curious. I don't know. It wasn't part of any any known archaeological archaeological find. Well, as long as it exists, it may be a threat to human lives and to real archaeological treasures of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to iron fist it. Yep, he smashes it. Iron fist! Away! Gone without a trace. I wonder if we'll ever know what it really was. You can worry about that tomorrow. Right now, we got some celebrating to do. Our first official case together was a success. And all you folks who helped us along are welcome to join the party. Oh, yeah. Got some Colt 45 on ice. <laughs> Works every time. One thing I didn't mention earlier is that Iron or Colleen Wing and uh, Misty Knight were like, Oh, Luke Cage and, Pan- and Iron Fist, they're stealing our idea to be heroes for hire. They, we used to pay them, and now they're doing their own thing. So there's like a little bit of jealousy. But apparently they got past that really quick because they thought they were dead. Well, yeah, that's what happen when somebody thinks you're dead. So there you go. The, uh, the story, another story of the living monolith, a few X-Men, Iron Fist, Power Man. It actually kind of ties in with everything we've been reading lately because those have featured Colleen Wing and Misty Knight so heavily. It's true, and they will, in fact, well, Colleen Wing will be in our next issue of X-Men as well, so. Yeah. Continues right after this. So, but we're not going to do that this week. We'll we'll save that for another time. No, sir. We do got some uh, letters pages, or letter, we have our letters page. In our letters page this week, what, what did we get, Adam? Open up that mailbag. We got a letter from Michael Fostermeyer saying, Hi, guys. I know I will get crap about this from Canada. Oh, man, I hate getting crap from Canada. I have to tell you. (laughs) I wish they'd stop mailing me their crap. (laughs) But I think Canadian accents and native accents are very similar. And the shaman's tribe is pronounced Sarsi. Okay. All right. Sounds good. As far as Colleen Wing Scott thing, maybe Misty thinks something happened to Gene after they crossed paths in New York. So in other words, like uh, Misty jumps into, bumps into Gene at the airport and then bumps into Scott in Japan and thinks maybe between now and then, like Gene got in trouble. And so maybe Scott has revealed that Gene is dead and, and just Misty doesn't realize it. Okay, well, maybe. I last saw her at the airport. 
and Scott's like, oh, yeah, it must have been years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to jump to conclusions. I met this girl named Colleen, and she's she, – I, I think I like her. <laughs> maybe I've been chasing this gene thing. Maybe that's just not the thing that I've been uh, – that I should be, be going after, maybe. He also says we can't have – his Kazar with the flying sharks issue because it would throw his collection off oh. to which I say, send me all of the Kazar issues. And <laughs> then you wouldn't have that collection anymore. Problem solved. I, I agree. <laughs> and if Adam has the issue, then I can live vicariously through him and I will have the issue. It's true. We'll do a podcast of it. Oh, there I should you tell go. you what, if you mail it to me, I will keep it in perfect condition. And we'll do a podcast of just that issue, and um, and then I'll mail it back to you. <laughs> that seems like a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it'll never happen. But if it did, that would be awesome. <laughs> and that's what life is all about. Human synergy! Yay! <laughs> what else did we get? We got a letter from Dan Kiergerice, K-E-G-E-R-R-E-I-S. I'm sorry, I butchered your last name. Dan Kagaris, Kagari, whatever. Now I'm wrecking it. <laughs> He's he, you're right, Kagarius. Kagarius. I'm gonna go with Kagarius. I like that. It's like a villain's name. Dan Kagarius. I am the Kagarius. <laughs> I will destroy you, Doctor. He says, "Hey guys, I found your podcast by chance one day, and he's been marathoning through it, and he's pretty exciting for." The uh, the Dark Phoenix that's coming up, and he got into the X Men because of the '90s cartoon, and uh, when it was still on TV, and that his parents let him watch it because of it, of all the garbage that was out, it was the most mature and handled things with uh, the most coherent story and concrete characters. I think I think he hits the nail right on the head. I mean, it was one of the cartoons. I, I keep trying to articulate why I liked it so much. And I think uh, just to parrot what he said is that rather than just being dumb throwaway stories week after week, there was substance to the stories. And I think I was I was probably 15 or so at the time. So I was done with – I mean if you watch a He-Man episode these days, you're like, oh my god. <laughs> like there's no story there. It's just like punch. And they don't even punch each other. They're just like throwing tree trunks at one another. That anyways – we are losing so many He-Man fans right now. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, <laughs> He-Man has a special place in my heart, but it's hard to go back, especially on that one. Anyhow. His first introduction to the comics uh, was from Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men and uh, in the tr in trade paperbacks even. Mm -hmm. um, so that must be like, like late 2000s. And uh, he has been trying stuff on and off ever since, usually keeping track of the big events, House of M, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, Utopia. That's kind of about how I read nowadays. I kind of skip between events. He says that he was trying to track down the trade for Planet X, and I'm trying to – is that Earth X or is there something called Planet X? No, that's part of the Grant Morrison's new oh, X-Men run. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. It, is, it is not part of the Earth X, Paradise X which, if you haven't read those, those are really good. At least Earth X was awesome. I, I, I can't speak to any of the others. Earth X got me kind of back into comic books uh, 10, 12 years ago when I was just at – I was at Barnes & Nobles and 
there was the trade paperback for Earth X, and I started flipping through it. I'm like, oh my god, it's like every Marvel superhero is in here. I got to get this. And I did. I was a little like, I, I want to read it again because I had been out of comics for so long that like the last that I had actually read was was probably uh, uh, like Jim Lee type material. So like classic comic book art. And I opened up Earth X and I was like, what is this? Because it's like all painted and like maybe heavily inked. I don't quite, well, I have it right here that I can look at, but it's not typically, it's not typically drawn or colored. It's true. Uh, and so that kind of put me off. I mean, I read the whole thing, but I, I think I'd like to go back and reread it because I think I missed a whole lot because I was being a really heavy or uh, really hard on the art. It it's it's I I thought it was very good although I didn't read any of the follow ups which I imagine it would either get better or worse depending on how the follow ups are. It's hard to say. I have a there's Universe X Volume One and Two which I have uh, that gets more traditional art um, art art wise. The thing that always struck me about the whole series spoilers here is that they don't really feature too much of the X-Men. There's some calls to the X-Men, but it's really Avengers and Spider-Man and Captain America heavy. But as soon as you get to Paradise X, spoilers. And I think like this is a huge spoiler. Like if you ever want to read it, just like you need to fast forward like a minute or two. So here it goes. Here's the spoiler. Adam, do you want to hear the spoiler? Go for it. <laughs> so it takes place, like it opens up, Paradise X. It opens up with Wolverine and Colossus and Storm at the Baxter building in X-Men number 142, about to take on the Sentinels. The Sentinel blasts uh, Storm, blasts Colossus, and uh, is getting ready to blast Wolverine when he enters an alternate universe as he's being blasted. And the story takes off from there. Which is awesome. Okay. How's that a spoiler? Uh, well, I don't know, because that's... Because people die? Well, no, everybody... And the spoiler is that it, like... I don't know, that it interrupts the flow of X-Men num number 142. So maybe you didn't want to know that. Maybe you wanted to read it and be, like, totally surprised. Oh, cause it's you're saying it's like a Days of Future Past tie-in? Kind of, yes. Yes. Oh, Okay. Anyways, and then it goes on from there, and it actually so that one's pretty uh, Wolverine heavy, and there's a lot of X Men, but then it flips back to a lot of Captain America, and I never actually finished reading it. Like, there's a Paradise X uh, Volume Two, which I never actually ended up getting my hands on. <laughs> I feel like I skimmed through Parrot all this like Paradise X as issues. I, I think I had a friend who had them all, and I kind of skimmed them, but never actually read them. Yeah, and of course, just like an omnibus, these are these are soft cover, but I bet you there's hard covers available. They have uh, but like there's there's probably if there isn't yet, I'm sure there's going to be a hard cover of the whole X series. Yeah, this this goes uh, uh, linearly through the series, so it's like there's other tie-ins that they of course bind in together. So, anyways, whatever. It's a totally off topic. <laughs> right. Good to go back to the letter. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about he that. Finds, <laughs> he finds that he has often become a fan of doomed series. He started following exiles and it got canceled. And uh, he was a fan of the age of the apocalypse ongoing. Was there an age of a, was, was, I don't even know there was one. What? Uh, anyway, it got canceled. Legion quest. What are you talking about? Age of Apocalypse ongoing. I did not know there yeah, was. Yeah, and I think I have it actually. I think there's like ten or eleven issues. It's like mm, a, okay. 
They did the Age of Apocalypse, which basically like replaced all of the stories with Age of Apocalypse stuff. And then I think 10 years later, they did another like Age of Apocalypse thing. I don't know if that's what he's talking about. Probably. Maybe. Who knows? The same goes for the second volume of uh, Extreme X-Men, which got canceled, uh, which which is the one that we we knew of the Chris Claremont's Extreme X-Men, but we couldn't remember what the second Extreme X-Men was. And apparently it was an Exiles-type story mm. uh, with alternate reality X-Men jumping around time and such. Uh he did a bit of research for us about the big events going on around the 90s, and there's the Phalanx Covenant, the Legion Quest, mm-hmm. Age of Apocalypse, Onslaught. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Onslaught. Never read it. That's honestly the only one that I really know nothing about. Like, I was so out of comics then that I don't even – I kind of don't even have a peripheral idea. Like, I, I know what the concept of it is, but I, I've never read a, an issue of it. I have no idea what it's about, so I, I look forward to that as well. Operation Zero Tolerance, which I think is when I started getting back into X-Men at – but I, I think I quickly got back out. I think I picked up like four issues or something. Yeah, there's a local used bookstore that has the uh, whole storyline bound, hardbound, and I keep passing by it. I can't get past the art. I think the art looks like crap in it. (laughs) In 2000, there was the 12, which I've never heard of. Ah, but do you know what the 12 is? No. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, and I probably am, somewhere along the run of the X-Men, it is revealed that there are 12 mutants that are like, the 12 that go on to do something important. And it's like hinted upon by a, I think it's hinted upon by Sentinels, but I can't quite remember. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyways, like they keep hinting at it for years and years. And this must be the culmination of that storyline. I've never read it either. And that brings us up to Grant Morrison's run. And he tells us his ideal hero and villains teams, uh, X-Men, he has Magneto, interesting choice. Shadowcat, X-23, Rachel Gray, X-Man, Hope Summer, Cypher, and villains are Apocalypse, Juggernaut, as War, Mystique, as Pestilence, Madeline Pryor, as Famine, Gambit, as Death, and aided by Mr. Sinister. Apocalypse is one of his favorites. Yeah, that, that villain team seems like the ultimate lineup for like some major crossover story. Juggernaut would make an awesome war, actually. That's a really good idea if it hasn't been done. I, yeah. I Maybe it has. We missed that storyline. Maybe that's what he's referring to. I'm not sure. I, I know that Wolverine, spoilers, is eventually becomes death. Wolverine does? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that like in Wolverine the End or something? No, it's it's it happened in it was like a it was a crossover. It happens in all the it happens in Wolverine, Uncanny X Men, all that stuff. Hmm. Crazy, a lot of material for us to get to. Yeah. Thanks for the letter, Dan. Looks like you are a huge X Men fan. That did you intend for that to rhyme? No. <laughs> I mean, yes. Aren't I creative and Johnny on the spot with my <laughs> rhyming? So if you out there want to get in touch with us as uh, Dan or uh, Michael did, 
then uh, how, how can you do it, Jeremy? Oh, well, you can go to www.xmenpodcast.com where you can find all of the episodes and some related X-Men video game reviews. Only one yet, but there's another one coming soon. Promise. Uh, you can also go out to www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can follow us on our Twitter feed at Danger Room Go. Uh, you can also go out to the iTunes page. There hasn't been a whole lot of activity out there, uh, but if you if you were so uh, inclined to, you could go out to the iTunes uh, page or, or, or uh, program and type in Danger Room in the iTunes store, find our podcast, and give it a... Beautiful five-star rating and potentially even some words of encouragement. Uh, you could also email us, dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. And that's, that's all I know. So with that, do you have any uh, extra stories to cover, Adam? I read uh, a couple of issues of the Periphery X-Men, um, if I'm using that term correctly. Iron Man, the Invincible Iron Man annual number four featuring MODOK and the champions. Um, Iron Man is hunting for MODOK and MODOK uh, could be in one of five places, I believe it is. And so he uh, being in on the uh, West Coast and not the East Coast, Iron Man goes to help from the champions who, of course, attack him as he enters, you know, that usual thing. Sure. Um, then they all split up, and they go to the, I guess it's three different possible locations where MODOK could be. And, and Angel gets a chance to fly away from the others. Had to get away from the others. It's so seldom I can just be alone to spread my wings and fly, even though every time I do this, I mention it all the time. <laughs> Seems like every issue he's in, he gets away from the others. There also seems to be some sort of romance going on between Hercules and Black Widow. He's got a bit of a crush on her. Sure, why wouldn't you? I don't know. That the Angel, Hercules, and Black Widow team get ambushed. Then we see the Ghost Rider and Iceman team and the other location, and they get attacked by sea monsters. Um. Yeah, strangely enough, Iceman does not freeze any of the sea monsters. What? Why is he even in the issue then? <laughs> to have some uh, quips. Well, he's still got this crush on this girl that is hanging out with the champions, whose name I can't remember. Is this... She controls the dark force. Oh, it's not Zelda? No. <laughs> okay. No, it's, it's many in the string of women that Iceman has a crush on that gets nowhere with. You know what they should do in all new X-Men? They should have young Iceman go find Zelda, and then they can show us what Zelda looks like now. That would be a great idea. And then she could be like, you son of a bitch! <laughs> I threw myself at you, and you just kept disappearing. Like, we had a date one day, and then you never came back. What? And then he'd be like, why are you still so young? <laughs> I, I think they should totally do that. <laughs> I don't think they are, though. No, it'd be cool if they do. If they do, they have to give you credit now. Although I guess they probably don't, since <laughs> since they own the no, character. There's no way to, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Iron Man goes to the third location where he gets attacked by a giant robotic monk. Wow! Only to learn that 
Modok is in fact at the original location where Iron Man started the issue. So he calls all the champions. Turns out uh, Black Widow's team was faking it, hoping that they would lead him to them to Modok, and Iron Man's team is just. I don't even know it. I can't even tell what they're doing. Anyway, they discover Modok, and he's carry, he's driving around in his doomsday chair, which I thought was pretty cool. I've got a doomsday chair. <laughs> zoom, zoom. And um, the doomsday chair explodes as uh, Iron Man manages to send a, a power loop feedback into the doomsday chair causing Modak to spin out of control a la Darth Vader in the Death Star Trench. Oh. I'm sure Modak comes back. So then we cut to Avengers number 163, which opens with Iron Man attacking the champions. And I'm thinking, like, did they not read the last issue? (laughs) But no, they did. It actually makes sense because Iron Man, for the the first half of the... uh, uh, issue is attacking the champions and um, oh, Iceman does freeze him and uh, Iron, Iron Man his repulsors blast through the ice and that's how he escapes even Iron Man is not a threat to Iceman <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that the reason that Iron Man is attacking the champions is because the evil villain Typhon who is Hercules arch enemy is holding Beast prisoner and is going to kill him unless uh, Iron Man attacks the champions, thereby weakening Hercules so that Typhon can jump in and do his own thing. Sounds reasonable. There's a couple things that are interesting here. One, that Beast complains about how useless he's been lately, (laughs) which I guess is a common theme now. <laughs> and another that they mentioned that uh, Beast has renowned recuperative powers in his brand new blue state. He had recuperative powers when he was black. Remember right. because he kept getting shot and he would heal himself. But I thought he lost those. I, I thought he did too when he turned blue. But I guess they're establishing that they're coming back. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Even Black Widow knows about his. Uh, even Black Widow knows about his renowned recuperative powers. Here he says, "It seems like every time I turn around anymore, I'm being captured, clobbered, and held hostage, and I'm sick of it." <laughs> so they manage to beat uh, Typhon. Iceman puts him on ice, which he handily bursts out of. Like we didn't see that coming. And. Uh, Hades realizes that Typhon is not going to win and sucks him back into Hades. Is Hades a character? Yes, he is uh, the same character that he is in mythology, but he's the Marvel version of that. Okay. Might be a she. I don't know. It sounds familiar. Okay. Thou art blameless, Iron Man. They all realize that Iron Man was attacking them, and then Beast thinks to himself, so he is, but you're not McCoy, are you? You're a real funny man, an Avenger, and not much else. Yet for what you've been worth as a hero lately, you might as well join a zoo. Wow. Next issue, a turning point for the Beast. (gasps) The secret of Wonder Man's and the Lethal Legion be here. 
but I skipped that one. Um, I'll get to it next time. Nice. To jump ahead to Godzilla number three. This is what I've been waiting for. Godzilla King of the Monsters is for some reason attacking San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge. All I want to say about this, and I didn't read it, but I did I did skim through it, and there's a couple of things that I do want to draw attention to. But first of all, since uh, Angel, Hercules, and Iceman are on the cover, that means that Godzilla is a part of the Marvel Universe. Oh, well, they're in this issue, too. Well, I know they are. <laughs> but I also want to say that uh, if... Uh, um, if that is also to be believed, that means that the Transformers are also a part of the Marvel Universe because Spider-Man visited the Transformers. And since the Transformers crossed over with G.I. Joe, that means G.I. Joe is in the same universe as the X-Men. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? <laughs> well, the Transformers, like, never appeared in a Marvel issue. It was um, Spider-Man appeared in a Transformers issue. Right. Whereas I don't think – I think it's the same for Godzilla. Whereas the champions appeared in Godzilla, as does Shield and Dum Dum Dugan, probably was Nick Fury at some point too. But they're they're in this issue. Um, Shield is tracking Godzilla. <laughs> yes, because Shield has created a Godzilla squad. That means that yeah. there has been multiple outbreaks of Godzilla attacks that Shield has been tracking. Right. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still I don't believe this happened. You, this is you, this is not part of the like Marvel lore in the Marvel universe. I think since Godzilla never appeared in the Marvel universe proper, even though the Marvel universe has appeared in the Godzilla comic book, I don't believe that this happened. The same way that I don't believe that the Transformers exist. <laughs> oh man, I I don't know. I, I think you're you're splitting some hairs there, but 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 maybe I guess you're right. If it has to go both ways for me to believe in it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, yeah, so it looks like this is the champions, right? Yeah, this is the champions. And are they flying around on the champs craft? They are. They're flying around on the champs craft. Nice. Got a big C in the front. We get, I couldn't really tell. It kind of looks like uh, a triangle or something. But So we get champs craft, we get helicarriers, and we get Godzilla. And the only reason I'm kind of excited about this not that we're going to go over it in super de uh, detail, but lately uh, I've been watching the Millennium series of the Godzilla movies. Have you watched yeah. those? No. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> they're really good. They they started – so, I mean, there's been three separate series of Godzilla. There was the original 50s well, that kind of went, I think, through the 70s. And then there was uh, – starting at Godzilla 1985, which I think was just called Godzilla in Japan. There's like six or seven after that. And then they stopped for a while. And then in 1999, they came out with like another cycle of like five or six of them. And it was kind of in response to that horrible Roland Emmerich 1998 Godzilla, if you recall that one with Matthew Broderick. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, that movie is terrible. I didn't think it was that bad. But anyway. But anyway, so like Japan was like, oh, that's what you think Godzilla is? Well – Here's our Godzilla. And you watch it and you're like, I mean, it's not good, right? And it's it's still <laughs> a little campy, but what they're able to use like camera techniques and there's a little bit of CGI in it, but they're able to use techniques that are modern from the, the 2000s. So they can make a guy in a rubber suit look like he's coming out of like a bay in Japan and like stomping on Tokyo. 
uh, sometimes it's a little cheesy looking, but for the most part, it, 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 it's just, it's good. It's like they said, we want to make a fun, action-packed movie. Here you go. And there's some dialogue too, but you don't really care about that. Is it still <laughs> subtitled? Yeah, the one that you can watch them either way you want, but uh, the Godzilla 2000 TriStar bought the American rights to, so they brought it over to the United States. They uh, um, there's there's an English dub and there's a Japanese dub. I remember that one in theaters actually, but I don't think I saw it. It didn't do well, and so yeah. none of the other movies came to theaters. Although I actually own the original Godzilla on Blu-ray, but sweet. It's... It's not a very good movie. It's awesome. I just watched it's that a, too. The the 1951? Yeah, the 1954 one, yep. I mean, it's It is it is historically very important and it is very interesting, but I I have trouble staying awake. <laughs> oh, oh, I never said that I watched it in one sitting, Adam. I think it took me All like right. three sittings to get through it. I actually saw that in the uh in when I was in, when I was visiting San Francisco, speaking of San Francisco, uh it was showing at a movie theater and I went to go see it. And I did fall asleep during the movie. Oh, my God. But before that, uh, it was like a really old theater. It was like a, a, a theater, like a house, like a, like a, uh, not a, like a, with a stage, a performance theater, like an opera oh, okay. house or okay. something. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, there was a, a guy uh, in one of those uh, old, old organs mm-hmm. who played before the movie. And then the organ sank into the floor. It was really fun. Oh, neat. But then you fell asleep. I fell asleep during uh, somewhere in like the third act. Okay, well that's when it gets good. Because <laughs> like the, I, I woke up at some point. <laughs> like the first two acts is like, there's a tail, there's a tooth, there's a scream, there's a head, and then the third yeah. act is he's like then he's ripping stuff apart. Anyways, all right. Well, back to this comic book. Um, okay. It's it's boring. <laughs> the champions uh, see Godzilla attacking the San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge, and so they go and attack him. And uh, they get in the way of the shield, and shield gets in the way of them, and they all argue. And um, Hercules, as a result, Hercules up, throws Godzilla. Hercules picks up and throws Godzilla. Or he doesn't actually throw him. He just kind of like the same way that Luke Cage knocked uh, the living monolith back off his feet. Uh, Hercules does the same for Godzilla who is about to step on angel. So it's a good thing. Yep. Uh, Godzilla does breathe some fire. His little spikes on his back light up, but he doesn't look like, he doesn't look like Godzilla. He looks like a really poor drawing of Godzilla. Yeah. He's like a kind of cheesy Marvelized version of Godzilla. Tony Stark shows up, um, to give some, I don't know. There's some sort of back plot to this whole Godzilla thing. Dum <laughs> Dum um, Dugan wants to uh, initiate the electro magnet, which looks like a giant mustache. <laughs> There's quite a few of them and they drop them on Godzilla. And um, at the last second, they realize that uh, somebody is standing nearby. And so they, they turn off the, the whole thing. And and don't manage to kill Godzilla, but Godzilla does destroy the Golden Gate Bridge, or at least a, a large portion of it, um, which Hercules tries to save. And then Iceman freezes Godzilla's head, and then Godzilla bursts out. 
just like everybody does. Black Widow at some point says, The champ's craft! It's still on the bridge! Let's save it! <laughs> well, they gotta save the champ's craft. <laughs> then, as they're dropping the electro nets, it turns out that Hercules is still swimming in the water towards Godzilla, and they realize that he will be electrocuted. So they don't, they say, don't drop the electro nets, but it's too late. So they drop them, but they don't all drop them in the wrong, right spot because. They were trying. They were trying to listen to orders, but still dropping them, and and it ends up sort of electrocuting Godzilla, mostly just knocking out Hercules. But he manages like everything. Everything goes wrong. He picks up a piece of the Golden Gate Bridge, throws it at Godzilla, who ducks. It hits the helicarrier, causing the helicarrier to crash into the San Francisco Bay. Oh my, oh God. my gosh. <laughs> It's like when the the enter the crew of the Enterprise crashed the the Klingon ship in the San Francisco Bay. There's humpback whales. Godzilla grabs a portion of the helicarrier and crushes it, and, uh, and then they say later one of the crew will liken this curious gesture to that of a wistful uncle tweaking his cute nephew's button nose. The crewman, it should be mentioned, is far more perceptive than anyone suspects, including himself. I don't get it. That same crewman will later claim as Godzilla walks away, the big lug looked like he was bored with the whole mess. And bored he is. Godzilla walks away. <laughs> Into the sunset. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Godzilla is a part of the Marvel Universe. And then Wolverine jumps out. Snick, bub, I'm, I'm going to stab you. He stabs Godzilla in the eye. Godzilla breathes more fire. And then out comes Baragon and Mothra. And there's a big old fight in the bay. No, none all of that true, happens. All, <laughs> all right, there you have it. Uh, a little potpourri of X-Men magic. Uh, next time we will be back with our regularly scheduled X-Men comic book. Indeed. So until that time, the danger room is closed. Pharaoh, he was a powerful man with the ancient world in the palm of his hand. To all intents and purposes, he was Egypt with a capital E. Whatever he did, he was showered with praise. If he cracked a joke, then you chortled for days. No one had rights or a vote but the king. In fact, you might say he was fairly right-wing. When Pharaoh...